0: Well, good morning again. And uh, let's stand together. And I want you to take your device or your Bible, if you will, and I want you to turn uh, to Acts chapter 15. Now, Acts chapter 15, verses 1 to 41. We are not going to read all of those, but we are going to read a portion of it. And uh, so we're on week three of relationships. And no, it's not about marriage. So you can all kind of tune in, and we're just looking at different aspects of um, relationships. And this morning, I've kind of sort of subtitled this, Getting Along, and I think you'll know why in a moment. So uh, if you have a Bible and you're new to Christianity or new to the Bible, all you've got to do is go about two-thirds through, open it up to the New Testament, you'll come to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the first four Gospels, of the first, of the four Gospels. and then the very next book Or is the book of Acts, and you'll want to go there. So let's read. I'm reading the yellow, and you're reading the white, and this is what it says. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question,
1: were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, "It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses." and he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear?
0: It did work. You want to advance? Thank you. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles.
1: After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name.
0: And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take them with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia, and had not gone with them to the work.
1: And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches.
0: Those well, names are a killer, aren't they? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you again for the living Christ. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that makes everything that you've accomplished in Christ available and applicable to our lives. And we ask that you would do that again today as we listen to your word, that you, Lord, that you would give us. Lord, hearts and a voice to speak first, and then hearts and minds to understand. And Lord, ears to hear what the Spirit would say to us this day. And Father, as we leave this room, as we leave this property and we go out into our city, and Lord, whether our homes, our neighborhoods, the place where we recreate, where we work, where we go to school, where we get our services, that we would live out in tangible, physical, meaningful ways what it looks like to be a Christ follower. And this we pray in his name. Amen. I not you be seated? Now, I want to ask you a question. Which describes your temperament? Are you a short fuse and a big bomb? Are you a short fuse and a little bomb? Or are you a long fuse and a big bomb? Or are you a long fuse and a little bomb? Which one are you? Are you the short fuse? With the big bomb? Are you the short fuse with the little bomb? Are you the long fuse with the little big bomb? Which one are you? And so when you think about that I want you to think about conflict because that's what we're talking about this morning. Now you and I both know that conflict is both unavoidable and inevitable. And you and I also know that we are not alone in the struggle to do well when conflict arises. Now, when I was thinking about a text of what to preach on this morning, I chose Acts chapter 15 for some reasons I'll explain to you in just a moment because it really talks about the importance of conflict and the managing of it. But... When I looked through the Bible to find a text that focused on conflict, I realized that there were no shortages of examples in the Bible where people, good and bad, found themselves in conflict. So, let me give you a couple of examples. This is from the the Old Testament. Adam blamed Eve for his problems and thought he could wiggle out of conflict. Adam, Abraham and Lot actually split their joint venture because their workers were constantly in conflict. Brothers, Jacob and Esau, reached a point of resentment so great that one of them had to leave town. Joseph had a legitimate case against his brothers, but he chose the way of forgiveness. And the people of Israel constantly drained the spirit of Moses with their complaining. They may have left Egypt, but Egypt had not left them. And then, of course, we know famously that King Saul angrily chased David around the wilderness, around the desert for a long period of time. And then we come to the New Testament and we find very similar things. The disciples of Jesus, no less always were squabbling amongst themselves. There were disagreements and debates among them. There were disagreements and debates among the early Christians. There were sharp disagreements between the apostles, between Peter and Paul, and in our text, Paul and Barnabas. And Paul wrote to you, you Odia and Syntyche in the book of Philippians that they should get along. And then, of course, we know that in the church in Corinth, There were all kinds of divisions and all kinds of factions in that church. And some of these conflicts ended badly, like David and Absalom in the Old Testament. And others ended well, like Paul and Barnabas later on in the New Testament, and of course Peter and Jesus. But when we look at the Bible's accounts, stories of people at loggerheads, it helps us gain courage and perspective, and here's why. Sometimes we have an unrealistic, an idealistic view of relationships. Whether it be marriages, or family, or friendships, or work, or school, or neighbors, And especially so when we add one little word in front of all those words. And that is the word Christian. And somehow we think that in the Christian church, there shouldn't be conflict. That we have this idealistic, this unrealistic view of what the church should be like. But the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts, tells us that of a church that actually shook the world, and we think to ourselves at times, wouldn't it have been wonderful to be a part of that congregation or one of those congregations? Everything just seemed to be exactly perfect. Everything seemed to go right. But of course, we would be wrong. The early church and the first Christians had some rough moments. And one of the things I love about the Bible is that the Bible doesn't sort of keep us away from the grimy details, it shows people at their worst and people at their best. And so when we enter life, we don't live too long before we realize that human relationships are messy. Whether it's married life or whether it's family dynamics or friendships or culture and society and whether it's the church, that we are all sinners and we are all broken. And it should not surprise us then when a little sin shows up in our relationships. Here's what I know, is that people are going to disappoint me. You are going to disappoint me. And people are going to disappoint you. And I'm going to disappoint you. It's just the way it is. And everyone has to come to that realization sooner or later. The bottom line is this. When people come together in relationships, sooner or later, our idealism, our unrealistic views get blasted by a good dose of reality. The late Mike... Iaconelli, in Messy Spirituality, wrote this. He said, Spirituality is not a formula. It's not a test. It's a relationship. Spirituality is not about competency. It's about intimacy. Spirituality is not about perfection. It's about connection. The way of spiritual life begins where we are now, in the mess of our lives. Accepting the reality of our broken, flawed lives is the beginning of spirituality. Not because spiritual life will remove our flaws, but because we let go of seeking perfection and instead seek God. The one who is present in the tangledness of our lives. Spirituality is not about being fixed. It's about God being present in the mess of our unfixedness. Isn't that good? So let me give you a little background to our text in Acts chapter 15. I want you to follow with me for a moment. Now... To say that this is one of the most important texts in the book of Acts, and probably in the New Testament, is to underestimate it. If what happens in Acts chapter 15 goes wrong, if the conflict isn't handled properly, it could result in the termination of the early church. Somebody said that this... Text in Acts chapter 15, this situation, this circumstance is is more significant than even the Lutheran Reformation. And I agree. Acts chapter 13 verses 1 and 2 and 3 tell us about how the church in Antioch gathers around Paul and Barnabas and lays hands on them and anoints them and sends them out. The rest of chapter 13 and 14 of Acts tells us about their first missionary tour and the success that they had. And then in Acts chapter 14 verse 27 it tells us about how they come back to the city of Antioch and to the church in Antioch and they report how things have gone and the mood in the church in Antioch is enthusiastic. But the mood switches. In Acts chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. And this is where our text begins. But some men came down from Judea, from Jerusalem, and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So in the middle of their enthusiasm, in the middle of their excitement, some people come down from Jerusalem and sort of rain on their parade. Now... Before we take the stance that the people who came down from Jerusalem were evil or were problematic just for the sake of being so, then we need to understand this. First of all, we need to understand that that for centuries, the Jewish people have been told That the only way to become a child of God is that you must abide by the law of Moses and men must be circumcised. Thank you, James. They had been taught this. They had believed this. They had practiced this for 2,000 years. And the person that Paul and Barnabas and Christianity was challenging is none other than Moses himself. And so the point is that these were well-intentioned people. But they threw a wet blanket on the celebration. And then in verse 2 of our text, it says, And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. This is a serious conflict. These are fighting words. Now, there's a number of observations that sort of stand out in our story right away. The first one is, accept the fact, in the Bible, and in your life, and in my life, and in each other's lives, that conflict is both inevitable and unavoidable. Let that fact be established. Secondly, that conflict is the result. Is the result of the collision of two or more perspectives. The reason why we have conflict is because you don't take everything that I say to be right. And you'd be wrong. And I'd be wrong. It's the result of the collision of two different perspectives. Someone wrote this. If we knew each other's hearts as well as did the first man or woman before the fall, Adam and Eve, the two were naked and unashamed, we might reduce conflict. But like an iceberg... There is too much of each of us beneath the perceptible level that is unknown and only comes out in the expressive moment. Blame it on sin, perhaps. We are always playing catch-up when it comes to understanding each other. Thus, conflict comes. And that then brings us to this. Recognize that each one of us brings baggage from our past experiences into our present dealings. Past fears, hurts, humiliations, and the list goes on, are likely to influence our present circumstances. And here's what I've learned in my own personal life. When I feel irritable, when I feel angry... It has nothing to do with you, or my wife, or my children, or my friends. When I feel irritable and angry, it has primarily to do with me. Most of the conflict in my life is because of me. It's not because of the other person. And the same is true for you. And the last observation that we want to make here is this, that crisis arises even among well-meaning people. Just because you and I have crisis, or you have crisis, or you and your spouse have crisis, or you and your children, or your children, you and your parents have crisis, does not mean that you're not good people. It just means we're human. And we live in relationships. Relationships. But how we manage conflict is absolutely crucial. Matter of fact, how we manage conflict affects our most important relationships. Now, if Acts 15 shows us anything, it shows us that no relationship is exempt from destruction when conflict is mismanaged. Now, I said a moment ago, if it had not gone well in Acts chapter 15, the movement of the early church would probably have been divided. At worst, it would have been paralyzed and terminated and at best, neutralized. And we read this in the second part of verse 2. And Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about the question. And so, just follow me for a moment now. A little bit of continued background here is that this is the first church council in the history of the church. And the theological and the spiritual implications of this, we can't get into this morning. That deserves a whole nother sermon or series of sermons. But our point is this. How they dealt with conflict is what matters. And it was masterful and it was inspiring how they dealt with it. First of all, learn to listen. Learn to listen. At the end of the day, at the end of the day when it comes to conflict... You and I cannot resolve conflict on our own. One person cannot resolve conflict. I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. One person can't fix a marriage. One person can't fix a family. The other thing we've got to recognize is that somebody has to initiate the process of reconciliation or resolution. In other words, somebody, someone has to assume the posture of humility. And this is what we read in verse 12. And all of the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Paul and Barnabas. This underlines one of the problems in our relationships. We don't listen. We don't listen to one another. Now, Ruth will tell you that I'm the worst at this. Not always, but particularly when it comes to getting directions. Now, I know it's typical, men in directions, blah, blah, blah. That's not my point. Here's my point. Here's why. You see, when I go to you and I say, Claudia, I need directions to wherever. See, I already know what she's going to say. I already know how to get there. Why I'm asking her, I'm never sure. But I always know the answer. And the other thing is, is I'm always in a hurry, so could you get to it, Claudia? Could you do it fast? We're not always good at listening to each other. The other thing is that we have our positions hard and fast. And whether it's politics or economics or theology or spirituality or any other thing we list, we have our minds made up even before we go into the discussion. And we become rigid and unbending. We have to learn to listen the way they did in this text. And by doing so, by doing so, they discern the voice of God in the midst of the conflict. Now you're probably thinking to yourself, but yeah, but this is the early church and this is the church and this doesn't really apply to my marriage and with my kids or with my parents or my siblings. Yes, it does. We need to learn to listen so we can discern what God is trying to say in the midst of our conflict, whether it's between Ruth and I or whether it's between me and my kids or whether it's between myself and the neighbor or just discern what's God saying. Now, i got a confession to make. We were down south yesterday and we came up yesterday and, uh, you know, it's holiday weekend, super busy, right? So I'm, I know exactly where the turn was and um, I, uh, we were coming up this hill and uh, the traffic in the right lane was quite thick and slow, so I moved over. And there was a guy coming behind me and he must have been about from here to the wall, maybe twice the distance. Now, I'm in the lane. I'm in the in the passing lane. And that distance, he's flipping his lights at me. Now I got my car on cruise. At a hundred and okay, that's enough of that. At a hundred and eight. Yeah, there you go, huh? Now you feel bad. At 108, and this guy's coming. And I'm thinking to myself, if you think I'm speeding up to move over for you, you're ready, of your mind. And he got right You know what? I think he was trying to listen what I had on on the speakers. <laughs> and when he passed, I glared at him. So I waited, I waited, I waited, got well past the last car, way out. And just as he was about to pull over, I decided I'd merge over into the slow traffic. And when he passed, I glared at him. And there were things going on in my mind. And this morning, when I woke up at 6 o'clock and did my morning routine and took my time to read the scriptures and journal and pray, That incident came rushing back in. And this morning I had to repent for the way that I thought about and treated that man coming behind me. And it wasn't about him, it was about me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Listen to the voice of God. We don't listen very well. The other thing is this. Not only did they listen, but it's an interesting thing. The Bible says that they were silent. We need to learn to control our tongue. Our tongue. Controlling our tongue determines whether a conflict is going to diminish or continue. So the monks at a remote monastery deep in the woods followed a rigid vow of silence. Now their vow could only be broken once a year. And it was only on Christmas and only by one monk. And that one monk could only make one statement, could only say one sentence. So on Christmas, Brother Thomas had his turn to speak and he said, I love the delightful mashed potatoes we have every year with our Christmas roast. He sat down and silence ensued for 364 days. The next Christmas, it was Brother Michael's turn and he got up and said, I think the mashed potatoes are lumpy. I do not like them. And once again, he sat down, and silence ensued for 364 days. The following Christmas, Brother Paul rose and got his turn, and he said, I am fed up with the constant bickering. (laughs) You're crazier than I am resolving conflict. Being wise in relationships is never more important than when something goes wrong. But at the same time, conflict is always the time when it's hardest, most difficult to be wise. Hard feelings, hurt feelings, pride, fear, frustration, tend to push you and I to say things and do things we regret. Now here's the irony in our text. The irony in our text is at the beginning of Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas are on the same page. They're on the same team, and they're bringing solutions to the same problem. At the end of Acts 15... Paul and Barnabas have a sharp disagreement and they actually part company. And the story is this. The story is around a guy by the name of John Mark. John Mark was a young disciple. And when they went on their first missionary journey or first missionary tour out of Antioch, they took John Mark with them. when they got to Pamphylia, John Mark got cold feet and wanted to go home to mom. Literally. He went home to mom and now actually as Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to go on their second, second missionary tour... Barnabas wants to take John Mark, and Paul says, No way, Jose. It ain't happening. And the Bible tells us that they have such a dispute and disagreement that they actually parted company. They turned away from each other. And if we are going to resolve conflict in our lives, we have to do the opposite that we have to turn toward one another. Not away from each other. Remember what I told you? I cannot resolve conflict on my own in my relationships. The second thing is simply this, that somebody has to initiate the process and in order to do that usually we have to assume a posture of humility. Conflict is not and should not be about winning or losing. Conflict is about resolution. And I have learned over the years, even when talking about Christianity, I have learned that you can win the argument and lose the soul. You can win the argument and lose the relationship. Folks, it's not always right to be right. And I have discovered again, when it comes to my personal life, That conflict is often the result of my own self-centeredness. It's not about Ruth. It's not about my kids. It's not about you. It's about me. My own self-centeredness. And my failure to bring God into the equation. But ironically... Conflict is the one is one of those ways that God works in our lives. It's ironic that God actually uses conflict in your marriage, in my marriage, in your life and my life, to do some things. First of all, because conflict is inevitable and unavoidable in all of our lives, and second, because God wants to transform us as his people into people who are good at dealing with it, that conflict, conflict is one of God's mysterious, counterintuitive ways of rescuing me from myself. Of rescuing you from yourself. That God uses conflict to get us where he wants us to get to and become who he wants us to be. But part of the problem is this. That we usually don't think of such potentially negative things like conflict to be used in such a positive way. And it surprises us to hear it put that way. But we know that conflict can be redemptive. And by redemptive, I mean that God can use conflict to defeat sin in my life. God can use conflict to make me more like Christ, becoming evidenced in my love for him and my love for people. Conflict is unavoidable. If we learn to manage it, we'll see the fruit of it in our relationship. Does that make sense? Now, I need permission. It's five after 11. We have 10 minutes. Can I have eight more minutes? Okay. Last Saturday, Pastor Scott graduated Thank you. With his master's degree, congratulations. That's not what this is about, but congratulations to him. We are very proud and delighted for him. The graduate speaker was this gentleman that you're looking at, Reverend Dr. H. lim Now, let me tell you his story. Um, he is the man who was imprisoned in North Korea. And last August 2017, he was freed after three years, and he's a pastor in a church in Mississauga, and um, he, one of his tasks was that he had to dig down into frozen ground, three or four feet, and break up frozen coal. He was imprisoned to hard labor. So last Saturday, they gave him an honorary doctorate degree. And it was so moving and so powerful. And I thought, what a great illustration of how God uses conflict. So I want you to listen. I'm gonna put the words up on the screen so you can actually, because this accent sometimes is very thick. But I want you to listen. It's eight minutes.
2: Nelson, for your kind introduction. However, I'm not a such a great person as he has just described. Dr. Nelson has a special talent in making ordinary people like me sound interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I know that I do not deserve to receive this honor, so, and so I declined a few times. Many colleagues and friends persuaded me and so here I stand before you all today. I lag in many ways. I do not even have the academic background to deserve this honor. However, it is because of North Korea that I find myself in this position. I think people have become interested in who I am because I now have the dubious honor of being the longest detained foreigner in North Korean prison. However, in the same way that I believe that not one one sparrow falls to the ground without God's knowledge, I know this is not coincidence. I never imagined that I would be detained in North Korea. It was so sudden and unexpected, very much like the caging of a bird in mid-flight. For months while I was under investigation, I endured very extreme verbal abuse, which affected me both psychologically and physically, so much so that my small intestine was damaged. For one month, I was in pain and I could not eat. During the winter months, I almost died because of the fumes from the coal gas and could not sleep properly for a month. At one point, the verbal abuse from the guard was so extreme that my body physically deteriorated and I was afflicted with dysentery for three months. Yet, because of the Lord's grace, I was able to endure through this near-death moment and I stand here before you today. For two years, six months, and nine days, I was isolated and lived in loneliness and struggle. For 919 days, I ate 2,757 meals alone, fighting against my own loneliness and anxiety. I spent 130 Sundays alone, worshiping alone, longing for a church community. In the first two months that I was imprisoned, I lost 23 kilograms. My fingers became unfunctional. My toes were frostbitten, And I was unable to use my arms properly. However, by God's grace, I was admitted into the hospital and was able to rest for two months and recover. This happened three times in the the almost three years that I was there. The Bible verse that helped me endure this time is from Job chapter 23, verse 10 but I know the way that I take when he has tested me, I shall come out like gold. In a vision, the Lord clearly revealed to me my refined state. As time continued to pass by, I also learned that much of faith is waiting. Waiting on God is waiting and trusting in his timing. Abraham, Joseph, David, Paul, all such people lived lives of waiting on his timing. When God's timing arrived for me to be released, despite the fact that it it seemed an impossible time for everyone to help me, It was that impossible moment when I was released. No one can adequately explain my release. It was only by God's sovereignty. During the time I was imprisoned, I received many blessings. I was able to commit to memory the content of 700 biblical lectures. It was a most valuable time of training. And during my time in labor, I learned that labor is also prayer. I received the vision to establish a total mission training center to raise up and send out million missionaries. I received the I received vision to start a senior's GTS movement. GTS means the 60s, golden age, 70s, twilight age, 80s, silver age. I also received a vision about the South Korea Cultural Tower that dreams of the unification of Korea, a vision about the Christian education, a vision about the building a place where the citizens can pray. He gave many, many visions. And when God's timing came, I was released. Through the Canada government, God sent two planes and a delegation of 14 people. And just like a dream, I journeyed home to Canada and was reunited with my family and my church. Today, uh, I envy you young leaders you have endless possibility, truly infinite opportunity, privilege and glory wait. Should the trouble come your way, do not be dismayed and seize the opportunity to wait. Then in due time, you will be used effectively as a refined and a shining servant of God. Canada is a nation that is abundantly blessed. You must share this blessing with the rest of the world. May God bless every one of you. May the Lord bless your work, the precious path of your calling in victory by faith. Thank you.
0: we usually think of conflict as something negative, troublesome, and not a part of God's working. But it is. Because it's inevitable and unavoidable. So I want us to stand together and I want to pray. I want you to close your eyes. And I don't really need to ask anyone today if You've ever had conflict, or you're in conflict, it's a given. The question is, what are we going to do with our conflict? And the next question is, what are we going to allow God to do through our conflict? Father, we pause again to recognize your grace in your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And now, for the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, to work in our lives and in our hearts and in our relationships, our homes, our marriages, our friendships, our families, at work, at school, wherever it is that we meet other people and spend time with other people. Lord, teach us by your Spirit that it's okay to have conflict. But the real issue is, what are we going to do with our conflict? And how are we going to allow you to use conflict to transform me, us, first? And out of that, our relationships. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We give you thanks. And we ask this all in one name only, Jesus Christ. And Father, as we enjoy this long weekend, nice weather, for those that are traveling, whether it's highways, byways, waterways, or any other way, watch over. Protect.